welcome to the Education Innovators Podcast. I'm Eric Byron, and it's an honor to host this show where we get to hear from talented educators who are willing to share their stories of the incredible things they are doing in learning environments all over the world. And then I'm learning exactly as you described and playing this game. I'm using critical thinking, I'm using creative thinking. Grit is often yeah. involved, right? In, in this very sophisticated game. And I, as I'm playing this, I'm thinking, wow, right? I, yes, I'm playing it for entertainment, but a lot of learning is occurring in this. This is part two of my conversation with Dr. Sean McMinn, the director of the Center for Education Innovation at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. You just heard him talking about an entertainment game he plays, and we dive deep into the topic of learning games and how they can be incorporated into some courses to help teach and assess durable skills and the role AI can play in helping to speed up the development of such games. How do you measure adaptability? How do you measure critical thinking? Because anyone you talk to across disciplines will say critical thinking is different. They view it as a different thing. What is critical thinking? What is creative thinking? Right. So I think. And I'm not saying this is easy. I, I'm really, I, I no, want to know. No, it's solve not. Solve it for me, Sean. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I wish I could. If I could solve that one for you, I don't know if I'd be in this position. I'd be in another position, maybe. I don't know. Um, you would. You'd be ascending, yeah. ascending in a, yes, in a much greater way. Yeah. You can solve this one. But we will. Want, we will. We'll, we'll try. Uh, one thing I think the first step is instead of first figuring out how to measure it, maybe we need to think about how do we teach it, right? So instead, uh, we should be saying we've mapped these competencies to a course. By taking this course, you will be experiencing these uh, problems or these scenarios where you will need to apply these competencies. Right. And you need to make it explicit to students. And you can do this. And I've started to do this where you have the defined competencies and you have the intended learning outcomes of a course and you have the assessments. You can map the competencies to those. Yep. Right. And you can put it into a, a nice table in a language that students can understand by saying by completing this assessment, you will be applying this competency. So that be, that's the easy part. Right. And then you develop lessons where you map the competencies to that and you have the knowledge mapped to to the competency skills that they need as well. Coming to measure whether or not they achieve those competencies is a little bit more difficult because they're, they're fluid, they're, they're, they're abstract, they're dynamic, right? They're, they're not easy to measure. You can measure whether or not they achieve that attended learning outcome, right? So by the end of this course, you will be able to uh, evaluate A, right? By the end of this course, you will be able to talk about B, right? So you can, with through a rubric, you can measure whether or not they can do these sort of things in the course. Because you've explicitly mapped the competencies already to ILOs, students should then be able to see whether or not they've achieved uh, a relatively good outcome in an assessment on that ILO they should be able to deduce whether or not they have the competency in that area, right? I think there's a bit of a danger to say you, out of a rubric uh, one to five, 
uh, let's say five is excellent, you are now excellent in critical thinking, right? Because what does that mean? Well, so I think the difference, if I may, and and the way I attempted to do this in my ed tech startup is we, we also, we did this. We had multiple of these, we had grit and perseverance and curiosity and you know creativity as listed as uh, measurable things because we knew right this is what employers want i want to be able to look at an employer of one of our mm-hmm. students and say yes these guys were kind of off the chart on curiosity right you want somebody who's curious this guy is curious we measured it right and so and the way we did it um, we didn't do a five-point scale. We did like a three-point scale, if mm. you will. So we had a rubric that basically said in this particular project, and it was all project-based work, right? Here are things to look for that would demonstrate curiosity. And so we just tried to look for examples through their work that moved them from the, the lowest score, which was pretty much, yeah, they, they didn't really demonstrate much curiosity at all here. But here's examples of what in this assignment, if they were curious, you know, we'd have seen this evidence of it. And then finally at the top end, right? So it was only three tiers um, in, yeah. in each of these categories. But the challenge was developing that kind of evidence, saying what's a reasonable you know, really kind of quantifiable thing that somebody can do that you go, oh yeah, that was curiosity or that was grit or that was mm. perseverance or that was creative. And so it, it really became a problem of consistency in the application of it. You know, an instructor would look at one student and go, yeah, no, that wasn't curiosity. Whereas I'd be looking at it going, well, I thought that was very, you know, good demonstration of curiosity. So it's really hard. It's it's very, very hard to do it and do it consistently and fairly across multiple students, multiple courses, multiple faculty. I I get it. It's, it's hard. The only success or close to successful attempt that I've seen is Minerva university, but they're a young university in a sense that they built from the ground up this competency based approach. So their whole program has competencies mapped across the entire four-year curriculum. And all of the faculty members are in agreement what grit means, what, now what was the other one you gave? Not curiosity. Grit, um, curiosity, what that means, right? And they use, I believe, last I looked, a five-point scale rubric to measure this, right? So by year two, uh, if I get measured in this course, grit, for example, and I receive a five, uh, it will be the same five that I get in year five if I got awarded the same, right? But in your average university, that's almost impossible to do because the foundations have already been set and changing the entire curriculum of a program to implement this kind of approach is very, very difficult, right? You really need to change the mindset of everyone. But you made me think a little bit about this. I like the idea of a three-point scale because it simplifies things. You can't quantify grit, uh, really, but you can develop a rubric. And a three-point scale is probably better because you're able to say, well, you've shown high levels of grit on this task, right? Or you haven't shown any grit or... Yeah, I can see a Expected amount of grit. <laughs> ex- yeah, expected amount of grit, right? Yeah. Um, 
so that's useful. And I think that 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 would be a better approach. Now, is that what you're using to pass a course, right? Or or is it just an additional instrument, kind of like a peer assessment? So it's used as 15% of a course grade, right? So uh, we have the 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 essay. I'm using an essay as an example, yeah. right? The, their their outcome on the essay is. 30% of the final grade, but on top of that, they have to write a reflection uh, where they identify where they've applied these competencies mm. to the writing that essay. And they have to write a rationale for that. And then there, using a three-point scale, they, they receive an additional 5% in their final grade on how well they answer their apl- application of the competencies. That might be another approach. I don't yeah. know. So. Well, you you bring up an interesting point there. So part of the reason why we were doing what we were doing at the time was because our only measure grade for a a student was employability. That was the only outcome that mattered, right? I don't care. I wasn't grading your project in terms of it's, it's an A or a B. The only thing I was doing was I was trying to assess at what point are you ready? Are you employable? Right. So basically, you're going through this thing. It's kind of like your readiness thing, if you think about it, with the AI thing, right? If you were to try and rate somebody, right, at what point are you really ready, right, to integrate AI into your classroom, right? So mm. that's all we were trying to do. We were just saying, yeah, it's not about assigning a letter grade, you know, to this. It's about measuring is this student now ready for the workplace, right? Can they do critical thinking? Um, can they collaborate? Can they communicate? Can they say persevere? Can they take feedback? Right? These things we were trying to measure, right? How well does some yeah, how well does somebody take feedback? You know, yeah. I don't know any university that measures that, but in the workplace, that's important. Yeah, 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 yeah. of course. That's an interesting point. I mean. Because it depends on the course and what is it that what are the objectives of a course, right? If the objective of a course is to teach them employability, how do you measure that? And, and the example you gave is a really good one. But if we have a course on marine biology and your understanding of basic concepts and, and, and doing work in lab, what are we measuring here? And how is it? What's the purpose? Why? Well, what's the purpose of the course? Is it for to raise them it, to become researchers, future researchers, or are they taking it because it's a program requirement? I mean, it, the problem with higher education is it's so complex, and the courses and the reason why we have the courses is not always aligned with what the employers are looking for, right? Uh, I, 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 I will agree with that. Yes. Okay. I digress. I digressed a little bit, but I, I, I just want to bring in the complexity of the issue, yeah. especially when we're talking about uh, competency-based education and, and, and how do we measure it? And, and we didn't talk about it, but what technologies are, can we use to both practice these competencies and, and both measure and measure them as well? Right. Uh, if it's about employability, yeah, competencies work very well. And technologies can be used like AI uh, uh, for students to, as we mentioned, metacognition to, to, to facilitate their learning and think about how they're applying ideas and, and uh, communicating ideas uh, or problem solving. 
Yeah. 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 One of the ways for me is talked about gamification, but for me, mm. actual games, right? So a real game and game designers in the video industry, not learning games, but real games, their design is intended to progress you through certain mm. levels, right? It mm-hmm. is teaching you something and it's measuring, right? Your ability to solve problems, to increase your skills in certain areas, discover things. They intentionally design things so that you have to go explore sometimes and you get rewarded for finding something that was kind of off the beaten path, right? Of course, you have to come up with different strategies at times. And so um, when we apply this kind of methodology, this kind of design in a learning game, um, we can also measure these things and be able to look at it and right, perseverance, right? Creativity. Yeah. Did they find a strategy uh, the designers hadn't even really thought about, right? Oh, you came at this in a different way than we really thought you were going to come at this. And look, it worked. It might not have been the solution we thought you would find, but you found a solution. Um, a plus, you know, this is this is great. And so we can design those elements into the assessment piece of a learning game that says not just did you progress, but how did you progress? How much time yeah. did you spend here? What path did you take when we gave you options? You know, which way did you go? Uh, what decisions did you make? These are all things we can quantify and with the help of AI assess and really yeah. begin to compare. Okay, well, these students <laughs> progressed in this way. These students, it only took them two hours to get through to the levels you know, we were trying to get to for this particular learning objective. Um, somebody else took four hours. Why? Um, and did they eventually get there anyway? Does it matter that it took them four hours instead of two hours? What? Anyway, it yeah. takes a lot of data to kind of feed into the system. The more they play, uh, the more students who try it, the more you tweak things and see what's going on. Uh, what happens if I change this? I change the color of that. I change where this happens in the game or when yeah. it happens. Um, and uh, and we see how much it affects your decision making. Uh, there, there's so many things you can measure there that help you understand the mindset, right? Are they critically thinking um, or are they just clicking, right? They're just button mashing here. I got to get through this level. I don't know what I'm doing. I, you know, I'm just, mm-hmm. you can tell, right? The game can tell if you're button mashing or if you're really stopping and thinking about how do I solve this problem? How do I get past this obstacle in the game? You're, you're, there's so much you said right there that has <laughs> triggered so many multiple thoughts. Um where, where, where do I begin in response to what you just said? I mean, I'm agreeing 100% with what you're talking about, right? One, though, is... Okay, let me start with one. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean approach, to overwhelm you there. No, no you yeah. didn't overwhelm me. You just, you just got me thinking on multiple things. One is what you described is a very sophisticated digital game. And one of the issues that I've experienced right now is where do we get this sophisticated game right ding 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 if we're talk- yeah, there's the problem yeah there yeah, well it's money all right so yes we have developed in-house games mobile games but um because we are a, a government funded institution the budget is limited so the quality is as best as we can with the money that we get right yep 
The alternative is commercial products, but the commercial products don't always speak directly to the needs of uh, an individual course. The, the product itself might have all these elements that you just described in it, and it'd be excellent, but the content isn't exactly what the professor wants. Yep. All right. So there's that th th issue. But let's step back now. All of the design elements that you described in this highly sophisticated digital game, I think, can also be designed into a less tech-heavy game as well. Doesn't have right? to be that sophisticated tech. Exactly. And this is the beauty of AI right now, right? With especially with the image generated uh, tools, uh, we can design cards, card games, board games, and, and have these kind of adventures that you're talking about. Now, let's go off into another offshoot. When you were talking, you were, I'm a gamer myself. Okay. And uh, right now, I am playing Baldur's Gate 3, which is was just released a month ago. It's a, it's based on Dungeons and Dragons, which was not uh, a digital game, right? It's, it's it was yeah. a right face to face person game, with a dungeon master, whatever. But this game is fascinating in the sense that it has all the problems, puzzles, and whatnot, strategies, and, and and the game is so sophisticated that I can tackle a problem in multiple di different ways, and sometimes. I'm surprised, like, oh, I wonder if this will work. Oh, my goodness, it did. Why did it work? And then I'm starting to think, well, why did it work? Can I do this in another situation? <laughs> and then I'm learning exactly as you described in playing this game. I'm using critical thinking. I'm using creative thinking. Grit is often yeah. involved, right, in, in this very sophisticated game. And I, as I'm playing this, I'm thinking, wow, right? I, yes, I'm playing it for entertainment, but a lot of learning is occurring in this. James Paul G has written a lot about this, by the way. If, if you're ever interested, I recommend reading his papers and books on this topic. What's happening here is transferable into a learning experience in any kind. I, I talk about marine biology, for example, right? We can gamify that in a similar way, create a problem and uh, have students, as you said, they have to level up. They have to uh, the, the, there could be multiple ways and multiple time uh, duration for them to solve that problem, right? It doesn't always have to be the same for every student. And this is the beauty of gamification. Yep. You can individualize and personalize the learning experience. Uh, so everything you said there, as I said, it triggered multiple thoughts. And by the um, way, um, I'll just throw this out there as part of the solution, right? So uh, on the keeping the cost down. The projects I did for the Poly U, we did mm. um, two different games there and we did them, they're 2D games done in an open source JavaScript engine. Okay. So they're interactive games. I did yeah. almost all the coding. I did most of the graphics work, which is horrifying because if you've yeah. seen my graphics, I'm not an artist, um, but, but they were still fun and they, did what we wanted them to do, right? They could measure um, the decisions the students were making and look at how they went at it. And in some cases, how creative they were um, or willing to try different strategies. So mm -hmm. we could get them to play multiple times and watch how their strategies evolved in the game. 
right? What were they learning? And, you know, and sometimes, yeah, they were just, you know, throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Um, But sometimes you learn more, right, from the failure than you do from the success, right? Absolutely. Because you go, oh, why didn't that work, right? And and we actually designed, you know, one aspect of one of the games to specifically to get you to fail. (laughs) So you would kind of go, oh, um, I kind of went what seemed like the obvious path and, yes. you know, that was terrible, right? So now, but yeah. it made you really think about why didn't that work? Anyway, but we did these pretty low budget, six months of, you know, small team developing these things. And then we iterated, right? It was get something out there, let them start playing it, let them complain about the ugly graphics and UI. Um, but Meanwhile, we're seeing graphics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're seeing them forget. Well, students have a very high standard. Uh, I did this game um, actually at the School of Design. It was originally developed for the computing department, and then we we it, um, offered it to the School of Design, and they went through. They were very interested. Uh, I mean, a lot of these kids were there. I'd say kids, sorry, students were there to learn game design. Right? They wanted to build games, so mm-hmm. they were very curious to see what we had built and then they were very disappointed that it was this low res 2d thing uh, that i had done most of the graphics for but they appreciated the design the mechanics intention the fact that it it got you to learn something and uh, i think they all wanted to help me with the visuals (laughs) cool yeah that sounds really interesting you know you got me thinking about an experiment that I'm in the process of working on, and it's actually influenced by Ethan Moloch and his work in making use of ChatGPT4's code interpreter. It's called something else now. Uh, but anyway, I'm experimenting similar to what you just described, but uh, the use of choose your, your own adventure books, right? And so role-playing again. Uh, how can we quickly develop a choose your own adventure game and that's text-based right but if you can implement simple graphics even better uh that goes through an adventure where you create a narrative for a learning process and and in their choices you know they can move forward or they go backwards and they, they they or they fail and so on and what i have found is i just have to write up a scenario and i ask uh, code interpreter to to create the program for me and it does all the coding and it runs on a web page this adventure now it's not perfect yet it's it has a lot to be desired it needs improvement but so i i have I, to kind of jump in there because i actually had this teed up to to share with you my um view of that i i saw that article you did that was in the um, one on human and machine collaborative collaborative innovations in instructional design in in your newsletter. Yes, and um, yes, and I actually pulled a quote out. So you had, uh, and this is direct quote from that article. It says, "For example, a recent post showcased how anyone can generate an educational game, sort of, without knowing any code. Of course, if you want an educational game to be effective, you need to have good understanding of the knowledge domain in the game will use." And it would help to have some learning design experience. And then I went yes. and you, you had a link to to one of them and you had a video of another yes. example. And I looked at them and said, 
I'm sorry, but there is no resemblance to a game here. Yes. No, I know. <laughs> it, yeah. um, you say text base, you know, ask me a question. I get like two choices of an answer. And yes. depending on what I answer, either it just says, eh, yes. or I progress, right? And then it tells me how many times I answered correctly. Um, yes. So you need a game designer, Sean. That's the, the, the missing element is not so much you had, you know, or you may need learning design expertise. Okay, I'll agree with a game that. Designer. But you need a game designer, right? Somebody exactly. who can look yeah, at it right. and go, oh, you know, this yeah. is um yeah, what's the game mechanic, right? Text base yeah. is right. No student is ever going to look at text base, I think, Sean, and say, Oh, this is a game. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's gonna Maybe. be really hard Maybe. to sell that. Um yeah. But uh, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, those examples, as I mentioned, that is why I think I had, yeah, you're right. I had the parenthesis sort of <laughs> in, in there because it's not really a game. Uh, but I think what I was trying to illustrate is, is we're already at a, an impressive point in time where you couldn't even do this before. I, I, I have no coding expertise myself. And I just said, oh, can I do this text-based choose your venture kind of thing? And it did that. Yes, the final output is useless and I wouldn't use that as a game in a course. I agree. But it's 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 a step in the right direction. And, and I think to as me, what's more interesting become, is yeah. giving it the scenario and having it help me draw the potential paths. Right. So give mm. me ideas for the decisions, right? Somebody might make here, right? Mm. And what, That's right? So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, so that, right? Because I remember um, at one point we kind of went down a path and had to back out because we realized that we don't have the budget <laughs> to do this because I wanted to do this whole thing on different personalities and um the interactions between personalities on on the team you were building right and uh and so the amount of dialogue i had to write to create these scenarios so you could decide right and then the paths right so oh you started out this way so now you're on this path and and you're going to encounter these things and these people in these situations and you have to make these decisions but if you went the other way early you got a different branch of the tree and i had to have dialogue and you know situations around that right and then at some point they kind of merged back together you know and we're back on to you know the next kind of learning objective thing but the amount of paths and you know how do i map this out and figure out also if you've gone one way or another um you know how i get you back <laughs> to a, another control point where i i can see all right you've you've leveled up now the next thing right and now there's more decisions to be made um but getting ai to help generate that tree and be able to see yeah. you know what are the decisions i want you to have to make and what happens when you go this way versus that way and how do i um yes keep linking these decisions back together um down down the tree somewhere you're absolutely right. And and I think, see, what you're describing, your average faculty member will not be able to do. And I'm not saying that I they're could not barely competent. Do it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying they're not competent enough. They just don't have the experience or maybe even the interest, right? Or both, right? Yeah. And, 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 and what you described, I think, is right. And 
AI can help with that in the sense that it will help you with those trees, right? It will help you with those decision-making and that, those those variations and the uh, uh, possibilities that you can yeah. put into the game design. And and so... Well, here was the other limiting well, factor that's no longer a limiting factor. And, I, and it makes me want to go back and redo some of this is one of the problems I had was I needed graphics of the faces of the different characters with different expressions. Sometimes they're happy. Sometimes they're not so happy. Sometimes they're really miserable. You know, you just made a decision that just pisses me off, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I needed like a dozen different characters with a whole range of different kind of responses, visual responses. And again, I was trying to play graphic artist, and this just became overwhelming. I, you know, I couldn't yeah, do yeah. it. I needed hundreds of of these. But now you could get AI to say, "Oh, I need." a diverse set of characters i want you know mixed gender mixed races mixed you know whatever um and then for each of these i have this range of emotions i need to be able to show and it can generate those faces for you um and you just got them but yeah yeah you're you're really reinforcing something that i've been thinking about a lot lately and that the it's a very useful generative AI, whether it's uh, text or image or sound, whatever. It's very useful as a co-designing tool. It's a co-designer. But I'm not. I'm almost reluctant to say co-designer because that's also implying that it has pedagogical knowledge, that it has game learning game design knowledge it has all of this knowledge and that it could it, it's it's contextually aware uh, of these things and it's not but it can still help with these things so it's not a co-designer but it's an it's an assistive designer assistive. i don't know what yeah, the right yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and right now what we need is somehow is to help faculty members who have this knowledge to learn how this tool can augment the output. Yep. Right. And that's the key. Right. Yep. You and still need to the say, knowledge. You know, don't think of AI as artificial intelligence. Think of it as augmented intelligence. Yes. Right? It, yeah. it helps you. It doesn't replace you. But yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd love to go back if I had time and, and yes, work with generative AI, whether it's chat GPT or other tools to, um, yeah. to create another game and really leverage it. Um, even to do some of the coding, that would be awesome to get help there because some of yeah. it's just really time consuming, right? You just have oh. to create all these branches and, um, you know, anything about coding, it's not your background, I know, but if then logic. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I understand the basics in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how fascinating. Fascinating. I did have one other kind of question specific to HKUST and your experience in doing this stuff. So within... Um, HKUST, there's uh, several different schools, right? Science, mm-hmm. engineering, business and management, humanities and social science, interbliss. In- <laughs> Boy, if I could talk. Interdisciplinary studies, uh, the Institute for Advanced Study, and the Institute for Public Policy. So, is there a particular school there that's really advancing, really innovative, um, or you're finding you know, surprises where you would think, you know, in science and engineering, they're probably the most quick to adopt technology. Um, but it turns out that the interdisciplinary studies 
group has done some really creative, innovative things. Uh, any? Yeah. I, holy gosh. Um, I wouldn't say it's any particular school that's one innovative more than the other. I No, it, it tends to uh, be a little bit more individually based or even departmentally debased. I mean, if you want to use AIS, the Academy for Interdisciplinary Studies, uh, the, the whole role of this unit is basically to promote transdisciplinary knowledge transfer and research and teaching and learning, right? Because that's the direction the world is going. So yes, a lot of innovative things are coming out of there, such as data analytics, uh, uh, virtual teaching and learning, the metaverse, and that sort of thing. It's coming out of AIS. Uh, but they're not the only ones that are innovating. No, right? Uh, I'm, you're seeing interesting things coming out of computer engineering. So the School of Engineering. You're seeing some very interesting things coming out of science, School of Science, right? I mentioned trying to create a digital twin of a, of a rat. We haven't done that yet. Uh, we're just exploring that. But there is some faculty members that are exploring gamification uh, in virtual learning and virtual labs uh, in this area. So I think it comes down to individuals and it comes down to a program level, not necessarily a school level. Okay. Well, since we are kind of out of time, is there anything else you wanted to talk about that you were hoping would come up on this discussion? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, nothing, really. I, I I knew we would go towards AI in a little bit. And I knew you would grill me on some of the things I wrote about. <laughs> and there were good questions. And I needed to be challenged, particularly the one about the gamification one that you just brought up, the last thing that we talked about, uh, because I allow my ideas to get away from reality a little bit too much, right? Uh, because I see the potential. I, I, I see, well, this could be cool. This is the direction we could go. But is it really what it is able to do, right? So I need to be challenged on that. Um, the only thing that I think we could talk about, and that's a whole other issue, is, well, what are other institutions doing? How can we get this theory? Because I, I am seeing a lot of people talk about things at a theoretical level, Right. Uh, but I think we need to look at it at a practical level. Right. Well, how are we applying this in practice? Coming back to a conversation about competency based education, I'm a true believer in it, but I don't have a solution on how we measure it. How can we further that discussion? How can we talk about that more? Get other universities to talk about it. How do we come up with a universal language that both academics, students, and the profession, professional commercial world? understands what is a competency and how do we teach it and how do we measure it yeah but there's too much to talk about there there is well we'll have yeah. hopefully more opportunities to talk by the way just a, a plug for the edtech month activities here because you know minerva is sponsoring uh the day yes. on the adult education side yes so yes. i think the ceo is going to be presenting the keynote he will yes and, yeah so i'm really looking forward to that i hope um maybe i'll see you there if you're going to be there that day i'm hoping to be there i'm teaching that day so i'm hoping to sneak out uh, either okay. before class or after class i know he's going to be there uh and minerva has had a presentation at uh, last year as well i mentioned earlier that they um are the closest to succeeding at competency-based education. And I really believe that their vision for what higher education should be is the best I've seen out there. Thank you so much for taking the time 
Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the conversation. All right. Thanks, Sean. We'll talk soon. Sean challenges us to all continue the discussion, to collaborate across universities and organizations, to find ways to assess durable skills in competency-based active learning pedagogies. I hope you're listening and join in on the conversation. If you're enjoying listening to conversations like this one with Dr. Sean McMinn, please subscribe and share. We have more awesome guests with amazing stories of innovation in education that you don't want to miss. Please reach out if you have any comments or suggestions. I'm Eric Byron. Thanks for listening. And thanks to all those education innovators out there. You are making a difference.